Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we'll see if corn in our ice cream was inspired or insane, and we'll introduce a Brazilian-style coconut cornmeal cake that just might be a new summertime favorite. Plus, abracadabra, we'll discuss some spellbinding baking tips that don't require a magic wand. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, it is the last week of our completely corny month of June. I'm so sad to see it go. I know. It's been a great one. Fittingly, I just went to see a new exhibit that is at the Victoria and Albert Museum here in London. It's one of my favorite museums. I dearly love the V&A. It's an exhibit all about food, and they had a display by a Mexican artist named Fernando La Posse. And I have to mention this. You may be thinking, okay art exhibit. Where's this one going? Yeah, where's this going? (laughs) Well, what Fernando does is he crafts a new material that is called Toto Moshle, and it is a veneer made out of corn husks. Oh, and what does he do with it? He makes art. He makes vases. He makes chests of drawers. He makes objet d'art. It is fascinating. And if you just looked at it casually, Andrea, you would think it was inlaid wood, you know, kind of interjoining pieces of different woods. It is absolutely beautiful. He is using husks from Mexican heirloom corn. And so it's kind of a twofold project. He's reviving this traditional agriculture Mm -hmm. and the types of corn that were historically grown in this area of Mexico. But he's also creating this entirely new product and craft and he's helping these impoverished farmers and he's also conserving these heritage crops of corn. And the husks are beautiful, Andrea. They are purple and yellow and green and brown and it's absolutely amazing so I will put a link in the show notes you should check it out it's absolutely beautiful and I knew immediately when I saw it I had to mention it during completely corny month I'm so glad you did my only experience with corn husks is you know seeing it kind of green as it's on the cob growing Mm -hmm. and then of course I've seen the Uh, sort of yellowish ones in the grocery store that you can buy to make tamales. Right. How great that he's taking something that a lot of us would just throw away or compost and turning it into something beautiful. I can't wait to see that. Thank you. Yeah, go check it out. It's absolutely beautiful. Another thing I wanted to bring to our listeners' attention comes from Heather over in our Facebook group. She posted a delightful picture of someone who had given her a gift. Mm -hmm. It was a container of vanilla, and all of us bakers know these days how expensive and precious vanilla is. Yes. What a great gift. Yes. And also a cookbook called What Katie Ate. (laughs) I had asked her, oh, is this one of your favorite cookbooks? And she was like, no, but my friend knows I like to bake, and so she gave me this gift. Yeah. It just brought to mind for me. We spend a lot of time talking about, as bakers, how we love to give people gifts. Obviously, we give them baked goods quite a bit. Right. But I thought it'd be fun to turn the tables and talk briefly about what we would like to be given as a gift. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Open the floodgates. I have so many. I'm still waiting on that magic pasta box. That's true. You are still waiting (laughs) on your magic pasta box. I am going to 
put a post in our Facebook listeners group and I would love to hear bakers what is something you would just absolutely love to have and I have a little story I can share about my own experience recently oh yes I had a dear friend of mine send me a message and say, hey, I want to send you a little something. What would you like? I don't know if you remember, but I think way back in season one, I had bought that Sonoma Crush Vanilla Sonoma Syrup, it was called. Oh, yeah. You were in love with that. Absolutely in love with it. So I thought, oh, I, you know, I just finished that. And that would be a nice little gift. And she had had told me about what she wanted to spend. I made the mistake of not looking up how much that was. And I just said, hey, this, you know, mm. Sonoma syrup, I got it on Amazon. It was really great. Okay. So I just told her the brand name. <laughs> was she like, do you have another choice? <laughs> I got the sweetest <laughs> message back from her. And she was like, oh, that does look lovely. It's a little bit out of my budget now. I mean, the price had tripled since I had bought it and I don't even remember now off the top of my my head how much it was but I thought to myself "Ooh, that's something I need to do better at next time is keeping an eye on those extracts I mean sometimes things even like almonds will do the same thing you've got yeah in your head that almonds cost a certain price yeah and you'll turn around and they'll have doubled or tripled you know, I remember before I left the States, you could tell me how this is now. Pine nuts were like $30 a oh, yeah. pound or something. I mean, I mean, you need a lot of pine nuts for a pound, but still they were so high. And it's not one you think of like, oh, that's a very expensive little garnish or something. So yeah. Right. Yeah. That's another one that's kind of in my mind as a pricey one. So yeah. Preheaters, we would love to know what sort of gifts you would like to be gifted, some little treasures in your kitchen, whether it's ingredients or cookbooks or tools. So go ahead and send us a message or reply to our post on Facebook, and we'll gather all that information up and share it with everyone at some point. Well, Andrea, I'm sure you remember our seed cake that we did back in episode 120. It was Nigel Slater's seed cake, and it took my blue ribbon for Literary Bakes Month. Oh, yes, I love that. It was something I had never made before, and it was really easy and a nice, sturdy little cake. I still recall he said it's like a perfect thing to take to a picnic. Didn't he call it a keep cake? Yes. Keep cake. Keep cake. It travels well. It keeps on your counter. Well, Nigel's back with an ice cream I wanted to mention. It's not caraway seed, which is what was in our seed cake, but it is a fennel seed, and it is a fennel seed ice cream. Oh, okay. So fennel seed is a bit licorice yes? Yes, exactly. And you might remember that I substituted fennel for star anise in those life-changing crackers we did recently. Right, right, right. Yeah. I do like the flavor of fennel in savory things. I'm sort of pausing, wondering how I would feel about it in sweet things. That's kind of interesting in our completely corny month because here we are taking something that we don't typically associate with sweet and making sweet things out of it. And not only does it have the seed, but it also has the vegetable of fennel. So you are soaking it in a way similar to our corn ice cream that we're going to talk about in a minute. The thing that I wanted to say is that our corn ice cream was needing an ice cream maker. But this recipe from Nigel is a no-churn, and I know that's a consideration for folks. So if you're looking for another that is similar in both kind of method and also an adventurous taste, then look on the show sheets for this episode, which is episode 130, and I will post Nigel's recipe for this fennel ice cream. 
Mm. You know, I've been having fennel lately at the end of our Indian meals. The restaurant that we like the most here in Olympia has a little bowl on the counter of candied fennel seeds. Oh, yeah. And I believe they're good for digestion is the reason they're there. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a huge licorice fan, so it's odd that I love these so much. But I do. I, I take a little teaspoon of those, and I just think they're so good. So anyway, look in the show notes for that if you are interested in another kind of similar ice cream recipe, but using fennel. And Nigel Slater has been very reliable for us, so that will be in the show notes. Yeah, and that no churn. We know some of you don't have ice cream makers. But for those of you who do have ice cream makers and who baked along with us, it's now time to talk about our Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams Sweet Corn and Black Raspberry Ice Cream. This was published in Severe. It includes her typical standard custard, which is milk, a cornstarch slurry, sugar, corn syrup, and a little bit of salt and cream cheese. And then, of course, the interesting component, which is an ear of corn. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and did I mention heavy cream? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm, Good ice cream. Good chunk of heavy cream. You take the milk and the cornstarch, you make a slurry, and you set aside a tiny bit of the milk. And then you cut the kernels off the cob. So you're just using a raw corn cob. Yeah. And then you cut the cob into large chunks. And then you whisk together the rest of the milk and the heavy cream, the sugar, the corn syrup, and the salt. And then you add the corn kernels and the cob and bring it to a boil. So this is the first time I have ever used just a cob in cooking. It was kind of interesting. You cook it for four minutes and then you stir in that cornstarch slurry. Bring it back to a boil and cook it about another two minutes until it's nice and thick. Yeah. Definitely want to pour it through a strainer or a sieve uh, to discard those corn solids. Yeah, and I think I had like a good maybe like cup, cup and a half of corn. So you're not talking just like a few little kernels floating around. You've got that big cob and then you've got a lot of chunky kernels. I want to add one little thing I did that I think amped up the corn taste as well. Um, And I've read this in other recipes, so it wasn't like it was something I came up with. After I scraped the kernels off of the cob, you flip the knife over, and using the back side of the knife, you run it along the ear. And so you're basically like pressing the liquid out of the kernel. Okay, so you're familiar with that. I have a recipe that I make in the summer that's kind of like a fresh corn succotash, and you cut the corn kernels off the cob in that as well and that's where I picked that up yeah because there's a lot of flavor left in that cob still yeah so I did that before I added the corn and the cob to the mixture yeah and I also did it after I pulled the cob out of the mixture because then it was like really soft and it was easy to press all those solids out that's a great idea I really got as much corn as possible into that All right, so once you've done that, then you take your cream cheese and your hot corn mixture and start to whisk it together, and then you go through the chilling process. We mentioned in last week's episode, Jenny's instructions have you pour it into a plastic bag, sealing it and submerging it into a bowl of ice water. That will chill it very quickly. I wasn't in any hurry, so I just put mine into the container that I was going to eventually put the ice cream into, and I chilled it in my fridge overnight. Yeah. How about you, Steph? Exactly the same. I wasn't in a rush on this one. I would add that like any custard or pudding you're going to make, it's a nice idea to put a plastic wrap or cling film right on top of that so it doesn't get that skin. That skin's not going to hurt anything. You can certainly eat it. But when you go back to 
take that mixture out. If you haven't done that, you'll have just that coating. So yeah. just press that cling film on. That will take care of that problem. Good point. So that mixture, while it is chilling, you can go ahead and make your sauce. And we talked last week about the fact that she calls for black raspberries. And we kind of wondered what that was. <laughs> <laughs> is this a made-up thing? Turns out, no, it's an actual yep. raspberry variation that is black and Jenny's chosen it because she thinks it has a really superior sweet tart flavor and of course that color is what she's looking for the base of your custard once you've simmered all that corn it's a really beautiful pale yellow color and so she really wants that very bright purplish red coming through for contrast yeah and I have Jenny's cookbook so I'll go ahead and read to you her description of this She said, my initial reason for adding black raspberries was visual, but black raspberries offer a perfect sweet tart perfume to the flavor. Complementary colors often make complementary flavors. If you can't find good black raspberries for the sauce, some years they are all seeds. Don't bother. Use half blackberries and half red raspberries so the color is still a deep purple to complement the yellow corn. And Stefan, last week, I think you said that's what you were going to try and do. Is that what you ended up doing? Yeah, it's exactly what I did. I used half raspberries and half blackberries. Now, mine were actually frozen, so I also added just a little splash of water when I was simmering those with the sugar. It worked beautifully. I think no matter what you're using there, you do want to strain it. Some people don't mind those pips or tiny little seeds, but I think they could really get in the way of a nice, smooth experience here. So I did put it through a fine strainer, mashed it through, and then I had a very silky almost like a thick I mean I guess it was like a dessert sauce or a thick jam there at the end Andrea what did you do yeah I would say mine was definitely like a thick jam I did strain it I don't like those little pips sure yeah they're annoying yeah yeah I definitely strained it but what I had left was not very much I used fresh blackberries you know I followed the instructions and you cook it over medium heat It says stirring until thick about eight minutes I mean maybe I cooked mine I should have cooked it less time mine was really really thick and by the time I strained those pips out and I had to just keep pressing on the sieve to really get anything out yeah I think I only had about two tablespoons of sauce okay I had a little bit more than that but then again I did add a little water so it thinned out a bit I didn't feel like it was runny at all but I probably had a quarter cup I definitely didn't Her instructions are to churn the custard corn mixture and then after you churn to alternate layers of the corn ice cream and the berry sauce in your container before you freeze it. Yeah. But I was just like, there's no way I have enough berry sauce here to actually alternate layers. So my ice cream maker is a 20 to 25 minute churn. And so right about 20 minutes, I took a look at it and it looked like it was getting close to being done. So I drizzled the berry sauce directly into the ice cream maker and into the corn mixture at that point. So it blended in. Yeah, I swirled mine together as well. And that was because even after my churn, which was about 20 minutes as well, It was too loose. I couldn't stack it. Mm, Okay. I still think at the end of the day, it was a really beautiful ice cream. It was pale yellow, as I mentioned, with that very vivid ribbon going through it. I think it blended the flavors nicely. So I think if you don't want to stack, I think that swirling is fine too. I thought the most interesting thing about this recipe was my husband's reaction. Yeah, Mr. Corn. Yes, Mr. Add some corn to it. (laughs) Mr. Add some corn. 
I made this when he wasn't around, so he had no idea what I was doing. And and in fact, he was out of town. So I mean, he, he it's not even like he might have seen like a corn cob lying on the counter or anything. Right. <laughs> right. I tasted it after it had gone through the turning process and also after it had gone through another couple hours in the freezer. And both times I was like, wow, this is okay. the most corn flavor I've ever tasted in my life. You know, my husband's just going to die. He's going to be so happy. I'm so excited. <laughs> He comes tripping home from his weekend away, and I said, hey, do you want some ice cream tonight? And he's like, uh, sure. Right. So I give it to him, and of course, I don't tell him what it is because I just can't wait. And I go, what do you think? And he's like, oh, my gosh, this is really good. Mm-hmm. And I go, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I go, you you know what's in it, right? And he goes, um, I don't know, like some sort of berry, you know, some sort of sweet berry. And I'm like, yeah, but what else? And, I mean, he's just looking at me with this blank look on his face. He's like, I, I don't know. I go, are you kidding me? You can't taste the primary ingredient? And he goes, no. And I said, it's corn. And the minute I told him it was corn, he was like, oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. But it fascinated me that he did not pick up on it. Now, the next day when he ate it, and maybe even on day three after that, so maybe on the third day, he said the corn flavor was almost overwhelming. So it's almost, I wonder if part of it is the steeping process, but Mm -hmm. part of it is just mental. Once you know you're eating ice cream with corn, you really taste it. So I'm curious what you and your family thought about that corn flavor. Did they pick up on it? Yeah, not so much. I mean, I think it was really unique and very tasty, but corn would not, again, be the first flavor that came to mind. I mean, it just has a nice, Mm. creamy, sweet and then with the berries. Now, one substitution I made that might have made a difference, I use mascarpone instead of cream cheese. Oh, okay. I think the mascarpone, what, and I never know, is it mascarpone or mascarpone? I say mascarpone. Mascarpone, okay. And it's just not as tangy as the cream cheese would be, but Mm -hmm. I thought for texture-wise, I thought it would be the closest. I think you're right. Right, because the cream cheese here is just softer. It's just a kind of a different beast altogether than U.S. cream cheese. So I liked that. I liked how the custard set up, but I do think it probably had a more subtle, not as tangy flavor. Oh, interesting. But corn, yeah, not not at the forefront. Definitely, again, like if you think about it, then you're like, yeah, that's what it is. But not yeah. on like first first taste. Well, I should add to, I mean, this was bought in just full height of corn season. So you know how sometimes you go to your grocery store and like you can barely walk in the front door because they have corn just spilling yes, out everywhere. stacks and stacks, yeah, right. Yeah, so, you know, I think when it's fresh picked and it's just got that really strong sweetness and then you do the cobs in the mix as well and then I press the knife against the back of it I might have over coronated it is that a word <laughs> anyway coronated I might have over coronated <laughs> it was delicious I was hoping that what would happen is the corn would provide a sweetness but you wouldn't know it was corn instead in our case yeah. I definitely knew it was corn and you know I think when it comes down to it it's one of those mental things that I'm not used to having corn in my desserts. And so I just kept yeah. thinking about it as opposed to just like enjoying a bowl of it. Right. And I guess for me with the more subtle flavor, it worked. It was, you know, it was really smooth. That's a Jenny's kind of trademark with that with that slurry, yeah. with that cream, with the cheese. That really, really worked as far as a nice texture. Very, very smooth. It was beautiful. It was that light yellow with the ribbon of the red, reddish black going through it. Mine turned pretty much purple Mm -hmm. then when you're scooping it out. I like that. As far as corn, though, not sure. Not sure on that one. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, it was a fun experiment. I'm really glad you picked that one. I had fun with it and it opened up a new corn avenue in my life. And for once, my <laughs> husband didn't get to say to me, you know what would be good in this is some, some corn. Put some corn, more corn in this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, Andrea, it is the last week of our completely corny month, which means we are up with a preview review of our final recipe. Now, in somewhat of a shocking twist, we've both made it so we can both preview and review a Brazilian-style coconut cornmeal cake. This comes to us from All Recipes, and it is a cake that you make in a blender. I think I'm on board. Yeah. We've both made it, so kick us off. How'd this go for you? Yeah, so this recipe is from someone named Vicky Londres. She says that it's very easy and it's healthy. And in Brazil, it's a favorite along with a cup of coffee for breakfast. So that's when I was sold. Mm. I was yes, like, well, this is absolutely perfect. The ingredients are two cups of cornmeal, a cup and a half of sugar, a cup of milk, a cup of coconut milk, a cup of all-purpose flour, three eggs, a third a cup of vegetable oil, and a teaspoon of baking powder. Right. You preheat your oven to 340 degrees. That was interesting. Yeah, I thought that too. Strange number. You don't see that one very much. I was wondering if that's because maybe it's a Brazilian recipe. And so the maybe the 170 degrees Celsius is more standard. I don't know. Or that's the sometimes it doesn't translate exactly. And so you are yeah. left with these, yeah, kind of funny numbers. But yeah. In the picture on all recipes, it looked like they used a tube pan. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember, but months ago I had posted in our Facebook group about an item I had, had I found it at a thrift store or had my mother given it to me? I'm not sure, but I had posted it and said, I don't know what this pan really is. And it yes. looked like a combination of a springform pan and a bunt pan. Or an angel food cake pan or yes. Yeah. And so that's what I ended up using. So I um, was really excited to use that because it had a pretty pattern on top. Yeah. You know, this cake sort of seems so plain. I thought it would be nice to have a little bit of a pattern on it. But then the instructions were something I have never done before, which is you add all of those ingredients, and you heard me reading that, yep. two cups of cornmeal, a cup and a half of sugar, a cup of milk, a cup of coconut milk, a cup of flour, yes, three eggs, the oil, you add it all into the blender. And I have yep. an amazing blender. I have a Vitamix. It is a workhorse. And I made a note here and wrote, I almost killed my blender. Oh my gosh, really? <laughs> yeah. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, I have some blender news as well, Andrea. As you might recall. <laughs> yes, please. Tell us. The blender that I brought from the U.S. exploded in a shower of sparks when we were making our Irish cream back in December. Yeah. Well, my prayers were answered because I received a new blender. Now, it's just very, very standard, but I had no problem whipping it up in the blender. Oh, you know, did you put your dry ingredients at the bottom and then the liquids on top? Yes. I just layered it in, like in the order. I was just dumping it in. Yeah, I just did it in the order that it's listed. And I think if I do it next time, I'll put the liquids in the bottom. Okay. Because I feel like my blender had trouble with that. You know, there was so much dry ingredients before you even got to the wet ingredients. So I yeah. think I'll switch it around a little bit. But, you know, then you pour it into your prepared cake pan. And of course, I slathered my pan with Baker's Joy, the cooking spray that I love. Amen. Yes. Then you bake it. It says 30 to 40 minutes. And I have to tell you, at 30 minutes, I pulled mine out and it was raw. Yeah. I mean, you could see it was still quite liquid. Yes. 
I added another 10 minutes. So at 40 minutes, it had developed a big crack all the way around the top in a circle. Okay. I put my toothpick in that crack and it was still very wet. Okay. Back it went in again. Okay. Another 10 minutes and then I pulled it out at 50. And then when I did my toothpick test, it was dry on the inside and it was a nice brown color as before it had been just kind of the the pale yellow. So Mm -hmm. I think if I cook this again, I'm going to just bump my oven up to 350. Right. I felt like it took a, a long time and I feel like that crack maybe wouldn't develop. I did one of the variations that was posted by someone who had done a review because the one thing that irritated me about this otherwise fabulous recipe is that you only use like seven-eighths of the can of coconut milk, and you have, what, an eighth of a cup rattling around left over. The variation just said, just use the whole can of coconut milk and dial back on the regular milk. Oh, okay. That's a good idea. Yeah. You know, I usually keep one or two cans of my coconut milk in the fridge. Oh, that's a good idea. That helps them solidify. And then I open them from the bottom of the can. Okay. And so I scrape out all the thick stuff. Yes. I had a cup of thickness. And so all that was left in the can was that really watery okay. coconut water kind of thing. So I didn't use that. But, you know, maybe that's also why I ran into more of a problem with my blender. Yeah, there was definitely – I mean, mine was at room temp, definitely a lot of liquidy mm-hmm. as well as that, like, kind of chunk of, of thickness that you get at the top. Could be mine was just more liquidy. I thought this was like making a very fancy cornbread. I served it to my daughter and her friend. They had come home from school and we were having a nice sunny day and they wanted to sit outside and I pulled it out of the oven. I sliced it. I served it to them warm and they both came back for seconds. They absolutely loved it. And my daughter said, mom, this tastes like cornbread with honey already in it. Yeah. 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 So I thought that was a a neat review. I tried it as well. I liked it. You know, I'm not a huge cornbread person, so I don't know that I'm the best person to evaluate taking basically a cornbread and then making it sweeter. Yeah. I felt like it was a little wet and dense and clammy. (laughs) Well. (laughs) Yeah. So I I did like it hot out of the oven. I had a tiny little slice then. But when I had it, because what I really wanted to do was that whole, you know, have it with a cup of coffee. Right. When I had it the next morning with a cup of coffee... I wrote down wet and clammy, and those are not words you want related to a cake in my no, world. No, it's not. No. Well, it's interesting because I did not have that texture. Mm. Going back to something about the blenders or about that coconut milk, perhaps. Yeah. But mine was, was I would say it was dense, but it was definitely drier. It's kind of like a pound cake cornbread hybrid is what I thought. So yes. there's not a ton of flavor mm-hmm. going on, really. Agreed. You know what it was really good with that I needed to I needed some intervention from my podcasting co-host to stop this. I was putting the Jenny's splendid ice cream on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> sort of a layered corn dessert. Because that was really good. Yeah. I think it reminded me also of the seed cake that we made. And in fact, when we were reviewing that back in episode 120, didn't we even say this reminded us of cornbread? Yeah, I'm still confused yeah. about why Nigel Slater's right. seed cake, which had almond flour, tasted so much like cornmeal to me. I still can't get yeah. over that. Yeah. The seed cake to me was lighter and fluffier. This was definitely more dense. I thought sweeter than the seed cake. It was pretty. I did love the way it turned out look-wise. And it's nice to have a cake that's pretty just on its yes. own and doesn't need a glaze or a topping or anything. Nope. Yeah. I think it was a fun experiment to do it in the blender. I think that density might have come from that, though. You know, if you overwork the ingredients yeah. of a cake, it can just make it 
very dense and, and yeah. that might have been what was going on. Yeah, it develops that yeah. gluten. And- yeah. I was happy to round out the month with this one that we both made for completely corny month. Yeah. And remember, we'll have a link to the recipes for the sweet corn and black raspberry ice cream from Jenny's Splendid, as well as the Brazilian style coconut cornmeal cake from All Recipes in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 130 on preheatedpodcast.com, as well as our Facebook listeners group. Step right up, don't be shy, gather around and prepare to be amazed as my beautiful assistant and I perform magic, kitchen magic that is, so incredible you won't believe your eyes. First, notice how I've dropped a perfectly good egg onto my kitchen floor. What a mess. But before I reach for a paper towel or kitchen sponge, I'll simply give a quick wave of my hand and a generous sprinkle of ordinary table salt. See how I've managed to mitigate the mess and make cleanup a breeze. Now direct your attention over to my mixing bowl, where I've left loose eggshell after cracking an egg into my batter. Notice I'll use the larger shell pieces to magically attract the small pieces back to itself. Ta-da! And here's some more with that incredible edible egg. Behold, as I stare at a recipe that calls for a room temperature egg. But notice how my eggs are in the fridge. I will attempt to bring it to room temperature quickly by placing an egg in this bowl of warm water. Hey presto, it works! Room temperature eggs! You won't believe your eyes as I take this ordinary slice of apple and magically soften hardened brown sugar. I'll just place it in the bag along with the sugar, give a tap of my magic wand, and results will soon be evident sugar as soft as the day it was purchased. Impossible or kitchen magic? Speaking of sugar, watch me reach for my powdered sugar and realize I'm all out. Never fear, I will simply add one cup of white sugar and one tablespoon of cornstarch to my food processor, pulse a few times, abracadabra, homemade powdered sugar. I will next take two slices of perfectly ordinary white bread and attach them to the cut sides of this cake with ordinary wooden toothpicks. You will be amazed how the cake stays moist for days, not hardened, not dry, simply through its proximity to the astounding white bread. I'll next transform this yellow banana into one that's ready for a batch of banana bread. Watch as I place it in a 300-degree oven and set the timer for 40 minutes. Ping! Where has the underripe banana gone? All that's left is this perfectly soft and magically ripened one. In my left hand, I have butter. I forgot to take it out of the fridge. It's hard as a rock. In my right hand, I have an ordinary rolling pin. Watch as I bash the butter until it's soft and pliable. But that's not all. I also have this ordinary box grater. See how grating this hard butter transforms it into soft butter ready for your cake or cookies? My magic potion reveals... If your leavening is still active, I place two teaspoons of baking powder in one cup ordinary hot water. Ta-da! It's bubbling! It's still active! Finally, in our most death-defying attempt yet, watch as we travel through time. My assistant is handing me cookie dough that needs to chill for at least an hour in the fridge, but I will open a magical portal in the freezer where it only needs to spend 20 minutes for the same results. Well, folks, Penn and Teller may not be ready to resign their Vegas residency quite yet, but we hope we've made entertaining work of some simple kitchen hacks that really do produce magical results. Thanks to Better Homes and Gardens, Bon Appetit, and the website One Good Thing for their amazing tips. And if you have any TNT, tried and true, kitchen tips, we want to hear them. Drop us an email at host at preheatedpodcast.com or comment in our Facebook group, Preheated Baking Podcast listeners. 
Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing onto this episode. We release new shows every Monday morning, and next week, we're kicking off the long, hot days of July with a month that's hip to be square. We had so much fun with our round theme last November, we thought we'd try our luck with geometry once again. And it's shaping up to be a delicious month, with everything from pie bars to ice cream sandwiches in the queue. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at preheatedpod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening, and sweet dreams. is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions. Ta-da!